You're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, serving the latest news in sci-fi multimedia. And now, your hosts, Scott, Miles, and Anna. Your table is ready. Live long and prosper. This is the captain. We have a little problem with our entry sequence, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode. I got a bad feeling about this. Walter, put the cow away, would you? What is this place? It's a freak show. Greetings. Back in July of 2013, I attended the OzFest Sci-Fi and Fantasy Convention in Omaha, Nebraska. One of the author guests of honor was Keith DeCanido, author of many Star Trek novels, as well as numerous other novels, novellas, novelizations, and short stories, as well as comic books. At that time, he was blogging a great deal about a novel project that he could not name at that time. So I contacted Keith via the internet, and he graciously granted me an interview. I want to thank Keith for granting me a generous amount of time during a schedule that kept him busy almost constantly. The project that could not be named turned out to be his soon-to-be-released new work, The Klingon Art of War. It is available for pre-order now on Amazon.com and will be available on May 6, wherever fine books are sold. Keith is a fun individual to talk with in a very easy interview. All I had to do was ask a question and keep my mouth shut while he filled in the blanks. I have not edited this interview at all and want to apologize once again to Keith for butchering his name not once, but twice. And I also want to thank him for being a good sport and allowing me to stalk him for two days. So, here is my interview with a fine author, second-degree black belt, New York Yankees fan, an all-around good guy, Keith R.A. DeCanado. Oh, and I'd also like to give my heartfelt thanks to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast for allowing me to bring this to you. All right, so I'm here at the Omaha OzFest with Keith DeCandido, or excuse me, I'm here at the Omaha OzFest. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody can say your name. No, I know. Keith DeCandido. Yes. Okay, from New York City. How you doing? I'm doing okay, and it, that, that's been a running theme this weekend is the mispronunciation of my name. That was uh, at opening ceremonies here at Ozfest. The MC, after the, I'm one of two author guests of honor here this weekend, myself and Gail Carriger. The 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 master of ceremonies is a wonderful guy named uh, CJ, uh, and he went to us and wanted to make sure we got our names right. Gail explained her last name is Carriger with a hard G, and I said my last name is DeCandido, emphasis on the second syllable. And he screwed up both of them. He called her Gail Carriger and, yeah. and and didn't even try my name. He, he tried it once and made a complete pig's ear out of it. Yeah, I remember and, that. Uh, yeah. So Gail, uh, to her uh. credit, uh, smacked him in the head. <laughs> yeah, I remember um, that too. Which, uh, you know, which, which is no less than he deserved. So. Great. But so no. I thought we would talk about some current projects that you have in the, in the fires. Um, I understand you have one that... Uh, until now has not been able to be mentioned. It has been so hard not to talk about this project. I've, it, it's, been in, it's been in the works uh, since December of 2012, which was when I was first approached to do it. Uh, it's, it's a new Star Trek project, my first new Star Trek project since uh, the Seven Deadly Sins anthology in 2010. It's called The Klingon Art of War. And it's, it's being written as a book that was published 
in the Klingon Empire. Um, precepts derived from the teachings of Kalos. There are ten precepts altogether. Um, that the original text is from shortly after the time of Kalos, like after he ascended to Stovokor, but not too long after it. Um, and the and then there's modern commentary by a writer named Karatak, who was somebody who was mentioned in an episode of Next Gen as a Klingon novelist. Um, Worf gave Data a copy of his book in the episode The Measure of a Man. And he's the only Klingon author anybody's ever mentioned. So I figured, what the hell, I'll... I'll. So he, he Karat, Karatak provides modern commentary that illuminates the precepts some more. Because the, the, the original text is it's shortly after Kayla, so it only, it only has examples and um, such of how these precepts apply to Klingon life with examples from, the, mostly from the time of Kalos, from Kalos' life and his stories and whatnot. Um, the modern commentary brings in more, you know, basically more familiar elements that are, that are contemporary with the 24th century of Next Generation. So there's, some of it is stuff I made up, some of it is stuff that happened to like Kang and Kor and Worf and Martok and Gowron and Kempek and, and other, other established canon characters that the, uh, the readers might be more familiar with. So... That sounds great. So uh, it was a real challenge because it's in essence a self-help book, you know, and in much the same way as Sun Tzu's Art of War is, you know, it's it's a guide to living basically, and, and specifically focused on on guide to living as a Klingon. So it really is, you know, like I said, a self-help book. I've never written a self-help book before, so this was kind of challenging, um, you know. It was it was it was, and yet it's still fiction. You know, because it's still... I'm making up history. You know, some of it was derived from things that had been established either on screen or in various novels and comic books. But not all of it. A lot of it was, was stuff I completely made up. Um, you know, basic bits of Klingon history of how, you know, Kalos's life and, and all sorts of other stuff. I made up an entire thing for the character of Koloff. Uh, a pirate that he chased for years um, that drove him nuts. You know, now, now I want to like write the novel that chronicles that. You know, <laughs> just after doing that. Uh, but that's so. So there's there's the element of fiction in it, but also having it to be something that that can apply not only to Klingons but to anybody who reads it. You know, and I also wrote there's some back matter. Dayton Ward actually helped out with it. He wrote a couple of bits on Klingon weaponry and and uh, uh, warfare. And then uh, I also did a couple uh, an afterward by Karatok talking about how other both modern Klingons and other um, people outside the Empire responded to the book. And uh, and then I did a, a scholarly appendix, actually ostensibly written by a human scholar, called The Search for the Historical Kalis, which was fun. That was... I took a class in college. I went to Fordham University, which is a school run by Jesuits. And we did a... I took a course called The Search for the Historical Jesus, which is a fascinating class. And it was really interesting looking at, you know, what the... trying to weed out the legends from the reality. And that's even harder with Kalos, because you know, Klingons love embellishing their stories. And, I mean, we know Kalos was an actual historical figure. They had freaking DNA, for crying out loud. You know, I mean, they had a blood sample that they could create the clone out of and test the clone with. So, he, he, he had to have been an actual person in Klingon history, but, you know, so many of the legends, even the stuff we, we saw on screen, that, that, like, Worf talked about how it was... Um, I think it was in the episode where he and Dex got married, where they talked about he, how Kalos and Lucara fought off 400 soldiers all by themselves. Right. There's no way that really happened. No. <laughs> you know? um, 
but you know the legend is more important than the you know and, and that was one of the things I dealt with in, in that essay was you know how you know that's probably not how it happened but you know but you try to you know <laughs> separating out the, the legendary chaff from the historical wheat as it were yes um so that, that book is that, that's coming out in the spring of 2014. Uh, Simon and Schuster is publishing it. It was actually put together by a book packager called Becker and Meyer. Uh, Becker and Meyer is on a lot of, of cool reference book type things and such. They did the uh, How to Speak Klingon book that came out recently okay. uh, that had the little audio thing in it. Yes. Uh, that, that was Becker and Meyer also. And, um, and, so, and, and they put it together. They're the ones who hired me. And then Simon and Schuster, who publishes the Star Trek novels, they're publishing it, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be fully illustrated. Uh, each each chapter is going to have a, a new illustration. I can't remember the name of the artist right now because I'm in Omaha and I'm drinking. But <laughs> <laughs> suffice it to say, um, it's a cool artist who will who will provide the illustrations, and um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I, I think it's going to be out in hardcover, but I'm honestly not sure. It might be a trade paperback. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure what the the final format's going to be, and it'll probably be available electronically as well. That'll be great. I'm, we're looking forward to that, I think. Mm. So today you did a couple of readings. Yes. Uh, reading sessions and a couple of your newer works. Yeah. Would you like to discuss those? It was actually, uh, this year I've got two short story collections out. Um, one is called was called Tales from Dragon Precincts. That came out in May. That is a collection of short stories in my fantasy police procedural series. Um, there have been three novels, Dragon Precinct, Unicorn Precinct, and Goblin Precinct. Uh, by the end of this year, Griffin Precinct should be out, assuming I finish writing it, which I'm in the middle of. As I record this, I'm in the middle of writing the book. Um, the uh, Tales from Dragon Precinct is a collection of short stories. Half of them are stories that were published before uh, in anthologies between 2004 and 2011. Um, and the other half are new stories that I wrote specifically for the book. Um, the uh, the stories appeared. Uh, there was a couple, bunch of anthologies over the years: uh, Murder by Magic, uh, Pandora's Closet, uh, Dragon's Lore, Badass Fairies, and um, uh, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> I know there was another. One. Oh, Hear Them Roar. Um, Hear Them Roar was a, a collection of stories about strong female characters, which actually uh, that was an anthology that managed to kill two different publishers. Um, the the the. And, and, and a small press publisher actually considered picking up the rights to the anthology, and they decided no, because it would be bad luck. So, so I, but the story's in this, so I don't care. My story's now in Tales from Dragon Precinct. So. <laughs> um, uh, and like I said, I wrote, I wrote five new stories, including uh, a story that I actually did as a Kickstarter in 2012, which originally was released only to the people who supported the Kickstarter, and then I, it, it got reprinted in the book. Uh, it was the basically the origin story of the two main characters. Um, in Dragon Precinct, the main characters are Torin Ben Wivel and Danthris Tresillian, who are two lieutenants in the Cliffs End Castle Guard who are detectives. They, they, they solve crimes. And the, the status quo of the novels is that they've been together for 10 years. Um, and they're, they're very close. They, they're a very you know, good team. I wanted to tell their origin story. You know, the first case they had together, how they first met. So I, I did a Kickstarter, and I got really good support for a story called When the Magic Goes Away, which is their first case. Um, and it also establishes a bunch of different things about, about the universe that, you know, we hadn't seen. Uh, and it was, it, that was a fun story to do, to just, you know, jump back ten years in the timeline, see how things were different a decade earlier, 
Um, the char- you know, two characters who now you know are like a well-oiled machine, but this is their first case, so they don't know each other, they don't trust each other, they don't necessarily like each other, mm-hmm. um, they don't know sure what to make of each other, you know, and um, and so that that was a lot of fun, and um, I did that. I also the short story uh, format enabled me to do some stories that focus on some of the secondary characters. Um, there's two other sets of detectives that are on Torin and Danforth's Torin and Danforth's shift. There's uh, Ian and Grovis. Ian is the veteran who's like two years from retirement and is has seen it all, has done it all, is sick of it all, and just wants to get to his retirement so his pension will vest right. and he can retire in peace. And he's paired up with Grovis, who is a rich young twerp whose father owns the bank, mm-hmm. and his. Grovis assumes he'll run the bank. Instead, his father insisted that he join the castle guard in order to make a man of him. It is the opinion of Grovis's colleagues that he does not have the materials necessary for such a manufacture. Um, he is a twit. <laughs> and so Ian is stuck with him because he's two years from retirement and is in no position to complain. Um, and so I have a story with those two. Um, I have a story with Hawk and Drew who are just, you know... the. They're just two, you know, two ordinary guys who worked their way up to lieutenant. Who are, you know, they're they're a good analogy. Actually, is uh, the show Homicide. Mm-hmm. You had the, the 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 two like hotshot detectives were Bayless and Pendleton. That's Torrin and Danvers. Um, Hawk and Drew were the more everyday shuffler types, like Lewis, you know, Lewis and Corsetti in the early seasons, and Lewis and Kellerman after that. Right. You know. Um, the, the those guys, you know, the, the regular guys who just you know work a day guys who are doing their thing, uh, you know they're not like great detectives. They don't get the fancy cases, but they they go in they go into work each day. They work their cases. They go, home. you know, that's Drew and Hawk. So they got their own story as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did another one. Uh, the first book, Dragon Precinct, was um, the plot involved a the members of a heroic quest. Who are being killed off one by one? It's like it's like any D and D game, you know. The, these these six six people get together. They're about to go off to fight a wizard. They gather in a tavern, you know, and then one of them dies, and then one another one dies, and two more of them die. And Torn and Danvers' job is to solve the case. One of the stories in Tales from Dragon Precinct is called Heroes Welcome, and it's about the three surviving members of the of the party, and um, how they deal with life after, you know, because the seven of them did all sorts of things together. They're heroes. They're, 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 they've done all sorts of amazing things. Now, you know, more than half of them are dead. You know, they're getting older. They're not... And they're trying to deal with how to move on with their lives after this. I just wanted to follow up with them. And I also got to do some flashbacks to one of their previous adventures, which was fun. That was me just basically doing a straight out high fantasy story, you know, mm-hmm. uh, straight out of you know every D and D game everybody's ever played. Mm-hmm. You know, they go to a, an abandoned castle, they find traps. You know, they're attacked by a gelatinous cube because I love gelatinous cubes. They're, they're <laughs> you know, they're attacked by three harpies that they have to defeat and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the present, what happens is the two guys who they encountered in the castle, who are minions of this evil wizard that they were going after, they find they see them again, fifteen years later. And it turns out they were just two guys who were doing a job. They were employed by the wizard because the wizard paid them a lot of money. And they did their time. They were captured. They they served a prison sentence. And now they just want to get on with their lives. And the three adventurers just see them and think, oh, my God, these are Mitos' minions. They must be up to no good. 
and wind up making complete idiots of themselves. You know, um, it's I, I like sort of taking you know the the some of the tropes of heroic fiction and and turning them on their ear a little bit and right. and and just basically focusing less on. You know what I mentioned before about the legend versus the the, the actual history. Right. I'm really more interested in how the legend affects the everyday lives of ordinary people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so you know in Dragon Precinct, the the legendary heroic characters are actually the victims, and the main characters are the ones who have to figure out how they're being, how and why they're being killed. And the heroes are pulling all this, you know, lone wolf stuff where it's like we must protect them from this horrible knowledge that may destroy them or anything and all it does is get in the way and make it harder and winds up getting two more of them killed because they were being so um obfuscatory basically um and so that's what that story was about and it, and you know it was just fun the short story medium allowed me to do little side alleys of the universe that I want, don't necessarily require an entire novel Right. But enables me to, to, you know, explore different parts of Cliff's End that I wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Okay. Uh, and then now I'm working on Griffin Precinct, where I'm actually shaking up the status quo a little bit. Right. You know, because that's what happens. You know, mm-hmm. things change. You know. And then the precincts now that they're different parts of of a larger city. Right. Cliff's End is is it's a city state. The Griffin Precinct is the castle, basically. That's that that's the the seat of the the domain. Originally, it was just the castle. Um, many, you know, hundreds of years ago, it was just it was just the castle, and then there was the port. Between the castle and the port, a city sort of built up over time. And so, Griffin Precinct is the castle. Unicorn Precinct is the region just outside the castle where all the rich people are. That's why they once the nobility grew to the point where they didn't want to live in the castle, but could buy their own mansion, make basically build their own mansions. They did that right outside the castle, so that's unicorn precinct. The middle class district, where all the people who do all the work, <laughs> is dragon precinct. Goblin precinct is the slums because there's always a slum. Right. And then mermaid precinct is the docks because it's a port town. That's that's the the main thrust of the economy of, of the city state is is the port. So those are the five regions. So that gives me five novels right there. I've right. already done Dragon, Unicorn, and Goblin. Griffin's coming, and then the, the fifth book will be Mermaid Precinct. And then I don't know what I'm going to do. I may stop it there. I may come up with some way to continue it. I don't know. I'll cross that bridge when I burn it. Okay. You know. Then you I know were... what the plot, the basic plot for Mermaid Precinct is going to be. Okay. I know at least what the main the main case, you know. the With Dragon Precinct, it was the heroic quest. With Unicorn Precinct, it was a an upper-class woman um, who was killed and it's discovered that she was she was engaged to somebody but was having an affair with somebody else. The identity of the killer was disguised by magic, and they were assuming it's either her fiancé or the person she was having the affair with. The problem is nobody knows who she was having the affair with, mm-hmm. and that's what they have to find out. Goblin Precinct uh, is dealt with the slum area, and um, that was that was my, my, my drug story. You know, that was my, my commentary on the war on drugs. Uh, there was a designer drug, and because it's a fantasy story, part of it is that it's magically enhanced. A drug called Bliss. And it starts, the problem is people start overdosing on it. And and then what happened, one of the ways I treat it is, is the way this universe works, if people overdose, nobody would give a damn. The, the Castle Guard is there to investigate crimes, but an overdose isn't really a crime. And 
basically the attitude is if people are dumb enough to take too much of a drug, then they're, you know, then they die and that's it. But then somebody important is found dead. Uh, part of the history of, of Close End is that about 10, 15 years ago, there was a huge war between uh, the elves and the humans. Mm-hmm. And um, in the aftermath of that war, which the elves lost, um, there were a lot of important members of the elven nobility who were suddenly destitute, and some of them wound up in Close End because Close End is, is the largest city in the area, and it's 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 a place where people, as I say, it's a place where people go uh, who ha- because they have somewhere to go because they're going to the port to sail somewhere, or they go there because they have nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. And one of the formerly uh, important people in in the elven nobility is now living on the streets in Cliff's End because he's been reduced to that. And he overdoses on Bliss. And somebody who's going around trying to find members of the elven nobility to bring them back home for war crimes finds him dead and assumes that he was targeted. And that starts a whole thing, and that starts an investigation of the drug and all sorts of other things. It also gave me a chance to deal with some gender issues because I established early on that that magic is controlled by the Brotherhood of Wizards. Mm-hmm. I deliberately called it that to set up the notion that if it's called the Brotherhood for a reason. And the official take is that women can't perform magic. The reality is, of course, they can. Don't be ridiculous. Right. But the Brotherhood refuses to admit it. And so I brought in a female wizard who has to deal with this, you know, this ingrained sexism. So I got to deal with the war on drugs and deal with sexism all in one book. Um, and then Griffin Precinct involves, uh, at the end of Goblin Precinct, and this is a bit of a spoiler, uh, at the end of Goblin Precinct, Lord Albin, who is one of the two people who rules the city-state, dies. Uh, his death causes a shake-up because his son takes over, uh, along with his mother, who's still alive. Um, he wants to do things differently. So there's a shake-up in the castle guard, but there's also a question of how his father died. And so that has to be investigated. And so that so there's a lot of castle intrigue and stuff like that going on. Uh, and then the last book will be Mermaid Precinct, where um, in Goblin Precinct I established that there was a pirate queen okay. uh, who's sort of a legendary figure that nobody really knows anything about, and she's going to turn up dead. And that's going to be the impetus for the last book. Well, the fifth book. Whether it's the last book, I don't know. Right. Um, I kind of run. I'm kind of running out of precincts, so I don't know what's going to happen. Okay. And then you did another reading today from another short story. Yes, that was Ragnarok and Roll, which is a, a collection of urban fantasy short stories. It's uh, published by Plus One Press. It's um, it's another collection. It's part reprint, part new. Uh, the reprints were in uh, Tales from the House Band, volumes one and two. And another story that I wrote for the fourth Badass Fairies anthology, which is called It's Elemental, but it um, the timing is such. Badass Fairies... The, four, the Badass Fairies anthology got delayed. Mm-hmm. So even though I wrote it for that anthology, it's going to show up in Ragnarok and Roll first. Oh. Um, Badass Fairies hopefully will be out next year, in 2014. Um, but I originally wrote the story for that. So I feel like it's a reprint, even though it isn't. Right, I understand. Um, so there's those three, and there's a fourth story that was actually the first story I did with the character, the lead character of Cassie Zukov, that I did back in 1997 for an anthology called Urban Nightmares. And that's being reprinted as sort of a bonus, a bonus track on on in the anthology. But there's uh, seven stories: the the three, the two house band stories, the one badass fairy story, and then I wrote um, the reprint of that. That's four, and then I wrote four more, uh, specific five more rather, specifically for this book. 
Um, one is a three-part story called Cayo Hueso, and uh, another story called Love Over and Over, which is uh, which is the one I read today, mm-hmm. uh, which is about the the stories involved. The main character is named Cassie Zukov. She is she discovers in the title story Ragnarok and Roll that she is a Norse fate goddess, uh, one of the Ds here, and she encounters at various times Loki, Odin, Sigyn, Loki's wife, a giant named Girod, and in one of the stories Thor as well. Right. Um, I've got a story planned. For uh, for the future, in which they meet also the dwarves who who crafted Thor's hammer, right. um, and a couple of others are still floating around too. And um, Thor shows up in a story in the in the collection called uh, God of Blunder. Yeah. And uh, if if you're expecting Chris Hemsworth, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is this is much closer to the to the uh, Norse to the to the Norse myth rather than to. It owes more to, to Snorri Sturluson than uh, to Stanley and Jack Kirby, uh, and more to Neil Gaiman than Stanley and Jack Kirby too. The, the, the depiction of Thor in *Season of Mists* was a huge inspiration for this, this particular iteration of Thor. Um, and uh, but Loki, Loki, Odin, Thor, Sigyn—well, Thor's only in the one story, but the others, uh, Loki, Sigyn, and, and Odin are recurring characters. They show up in several uh, different stories. Uh, there's a rock and roll group called 1812, which, are, which Cassie goes to see all the time. Um, there's the ghost of Captain Jeremiah Botroff, who only Cassie can see in here, who lives in her, in her where she lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sort of a, 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 a forced roommate. There's an FBI agent named Rance Dimitrijan who knows Cassie's secret and who she's dealt with on a number of occasions. So there's this whole cast of characters. Uh, building cast of characters because they kept getting added. There's Larry who uh, slept with a water elemental and is now immortal. And as long as he knows, as he's a, he will stay immortal, assuming he never goes to sleep. So he spends all his time in Mayor Fred's saloon, which is the the bar where 1812 plays and where a lot of the action takes place. Uh, and he drinks coffee and soda constantly. <laughs> With a ton of sugar in the coffee, too. Sounds like a teacher. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and that's what he does all day. He sits in the bar all day, and then he goes somewhere else and stays awake, and then comes back to... Yeah, you know, he's never... He, when the bar's open, he's there. You know? <laughs> um, so, I, it's been a lot of fun building this whole group of characters up, and, and Key West is a perfect location for urban fantasy stories. There's tons of ghost lore. Um, you know the, the the ghosts on the island show up. As the Cayo story uh, includes mm-hmm. that. Both the ghosts, uh, the the history there with characters, people like Harry Truman, who used to vacation in Key West, Ernest Hemingway, who lived in Key West, um, and some others. There's the uh, John J. Audubon lived on Key West for a while. Um, mm-hmm. the, uh, Mel Fisher, the famous treasure hunter, who was famous, basically he would always say, "Today is the day," because yeah. he would go out looking for treasure, and then eventually today was the day, and he actually found like billions of dollars in, in, in treasure in a, in a sunken boat um, and and the history the, the ghost that uh, Cassie lives with is an old record captain who died in the 19th century and um, that was a huge industry in, in Key West uh, right, and they, every time I mention oh he's a record captain oh he was a pirate no this was actually regulated this was legal this was a job in Key West You're, you know if, if, a, if a boat crashed up on a reef um the record captain's job was to go out and salvage the boat. They would get a share of whatever the cargo was in res- in, in recompense for rescuing the ship. Um, and that was a huge business. You know, a lot of people in the 19th century made a lot of money as record captains. And Botroff, Jeremiah Botroff is his name. He's, he, 
he was a record captain and he built the house which is now a bed and breakfast where Cassie lives and works part time she's also a scuba diver so I can work that into it uh, so there's scuba diving there's rock and roll music there's folklore and there's Norse gods yes yes um, <laughs> and I'm actually uh, I'm the week before Dragon Con I'm going to Key West uh, and depending on when this podcast is released I may have already done that but um, part of the point of that is to do a little more research for some more stories I haven't actually been to Key West uh, this millennium oh. my, my last trip was in 1999 and uh, I've been developing these stories for a while it took until now for it to actually finally see the light of day but um, Cassie's a fun character um, and they're all first person narrated by her um, and she, she has to deal with all this crazy stuff in her life. Um, and it, they're fun. And the, the responses to the stories, I've been reading the stories at conventions a lot, uh, including today here at OzFest, and it's been, the response has always been really good. It's a, it's a high-energy story. Yeah. It really yeah. is. But, so, uh, uh, future plans, anything you can talk about that you've got working in the works for the future? Um, well, there's the, the Klingon Art of War, there's Griffin Precinct, and that'll be followed by Mermaid Precinct. Um, I'm working on a movie novelization that I'm not sure I'm allowed to talk about yet, so I probably shouldn't. Okay, good um, idea. <laughs> well, that, that, the, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that still need to fall into place for this for the movie to happen, much less the novelization. You know, we don't as as, as I record this, I've got a contract to write the book, but they don't have a, they don't have a publishing deal yet for the novelization, and I'm not sure even what the distribution deal is for the movie yet. It's for for a small uh, a small independent. Uh, film house but they want to have a novelization as part of the package of what they're marketing so I'm looking forward to that actually because that's something a little more a little different from what I usually do usually it's a big studio that already has the deal in place these guys want to have a novel as part of, of their overall package uh, for what they hope will be a film series so we'll see what happens um, I, I'm looking forward to working with them because it's something a little different um Beyond that, it's um, a little murky. I've got a mystery novel I want to write on spec that I just has been sitting in the back of my head for a long time that I want to work on. Uh, I want to write another SCPD book. That's my series of cop novels in a city filled with superheroes. The first book, The Case of the Claw, came out in 2011. Um, I haven't had a chance because I've been busy with other stuff to get back. I, want, I have the next two books in mind, so I want to write that. Um, I'd like there's the Scattered Earth series that I did a book for. Um, that's something I'm doing with Aaron Rosenberg and David Neil Wilson, and I wouldn't mind revisiting that world at some point. Um, and who knows what else may come down the pike? Uh, I'm hoping that the Klingon Art of War will open the door to, to more Star Trek stuff, also, because I haven't done. I, I I've been away from Star Trek for a while, and I'd like to do more. Uh, the, it was fun to get back into that universe again, beyond the, like the rewatches. Yeah. You know? Because um, you know, I've been doing. I did the next gen rewatch from 2011 to 2013. I'm doing a Deep Space Nine rewatch now for Tor.com, but that's not the same as writing right. fiction. And it'll be, it'll be nice to get back into that again. We'll see how that goes. Um, so I, I, there's a lot of possibilities right now, but nothing. The only thing I can definitely say for sure is that there'll, there'll be more precinct books. There will be another SCP book at some point, um, and uh, beyond, and and uh, the Klingon Art of War and this movie novelization and beyond that we'll see I look forward to seeing your work I want to do more Cassie stuff too you know that that's I've already got I've got one story that I need to sit down and write uh, it's actually a prequel to the story it was a story I've had in mind all along but I wanted it didn't really fit in with the other stories in Ragnarok and Roll mm -hmm. so I wound up not doing it and um, there's, a, there's a story that I made reference to that I haven't gotten around to writing yet uh, involving Cassie and a UFO 
there's references to it in like three different stories in Ragnarok and Roll, but I haven't actually written that story yet. Right. So I've got that to write. I've got the prequel story, and there's another one I'm doing for uh, Jonathan Mayberry edited an anthology called Out of Tune, which is going to involve uh, the child ballads. Mm-hmm. Um, all the stories are based on on those ballads, uh, those various nautical ballads and such. And um, I'm doing one based on on mermaids. It's actually called Mermaids. It's the name of the ballad. And uh, that's going to involve Captain Bottroff very heavily. So that's at least three more Cassie stories I want to write. Um, and I wouldn't mind doing a novel with her, too. That, that's that's something that is identified. There's an urban fantasy I've been dying to write. I've written the first, like, four chapters. Uh, and I just I haven't had time to get back to it. So there's, there's plenty of stuff, but it, there's nothing definite yet beyond what I've mentioned. Uh, hopefully one or more of them will, will kick in. And... Uh, We'll see what happens. Oh, neat. So, for those out there that are not familiar with you and how to get a hold of you and Twitter, Facebook... If you go to my website at decandido.net, that's a gateway to everything. Um, There's ordering links for my most recent fiction. So you can order the precinct books, you can order SCPD, you can order my leverage novel, um, you know, all my most recent stuff. Um... That also has links to my blog, my Facebook page, my Twitter feed, uh, the various podcasts I do, including the Chronic Rifts, uh, pop culture podcast that I'm part of the staff of, Dead Kitchen Radio, which is my own monthly podcast, um, HG World, which is an audio drama I do voices for. Uh, that also links to the next uh, Deep, next gen and Deep Space Nine rewatches. Uh, it's all there. So if you go to decandido.net, my last name, D-E-C-A-N-D-I-D-O.net, uh, that'll take you everywhere you need to go to find me online. Okay. One more question. Yes. Where's the fedora? It's summer, man. <laughs> and it's been like 100 degrees. I mean, actually, as we record this, it's been like a cold snap in Omaha. It's only like six. It's been in the 60s. Everybody's oh, telling me this is weird. It is. Yeah. Very weird. But uh, and, and it was great because I got to go to the Omaha Zoo on a nice, you know, pleasant, sunny day where it wasn't very humid or anything. And it wasn't that hot. It was great. Um, but, you know, the fedora is really a spring, fall, and winter thing, and it's summer, man. I just, okay. you know, I mean, if, if, if this convention was held in November, I'd probably have the hat. There we go. In this case, not so much. So, All right. Uh, well, for the Sci-Fi Diner, uh, thank you, Keith Can- <laughs> There we go again. Keith DeCanado for <laughs> your interview. I'll get that right one of these one days. One of these days. And uh, this is Kalis. Cut plot. so much for visiting the Sci-Fi Diner. We hope you enjoyed the food, the service, and the conversations. If you'd like to share your thoughts regarding what we've talked about, or tell us what you're watching or reading, flip open your communicators and contact us at 1-888-508-4343 or click the SpeakPipe link at scifidinerpodcast.com or Send an MP3 or typed email to sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. You can also join the conversation on our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash sci-fi diner. We'll share your thoughts on our listener feedback show. If you'd like to support the diner beyond the conversation, you can always throw some coins in the tip jar at sci-fi diner podcast.com. <laughs>